Amen. Thank you for that, Jacob. All right, we're in Acts chapter 8 this morning, if you haven't already turned there. Uh, I want to say this before we get started, because if I'm not careful, I'll, it'll slip my mind. But we want to be a blessing to Cody, and uh, so we've set up a special fund uh, online uh, that you can give, or you can give at the end of the service. You can just mark that on the envelope that you want to give, that your offering is going to Cody Turney. But you can go online uh, to a special fund with his name on it, Cody Turney. I decided to do that because the special love offering has been growing, all right? And uh, so um, uh, the needs, so you can do that at, t- throughout the day, if you don't mind, and uh, just be a blessing to him, uh, and that'll be a part of our offering at the end of the service this morning. Acts chapter 8 today, I, uh, I'm a very burden for this message this morning and uh, I don't know where your I don't know where your spiritual standing is today Uh, the truth is you don't really know where mine is Uh, that's between us and God we can often look at the fruits of an individual and and you can kind of see where their where their relationship is with the Lord but I hope today that you can say yes to that question on the screen. Have you been saved? You know, saved is not a Baptist word, it's a Bible word. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says, neither is there salvation in the other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Paul said that the Lord will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. It's not a a Baptist word, it's a Bible word. You need to know that you need to be saved. What you're being saved from, who, who saved you, all of those things. I pray by the end of the service this morning that you know that to be true in your life. I have also found this to be true. There's a fine line oftentimes between those who are saved and not currently walking with the Lord and those who are not saved but have done a good job of pretending to be. This morning, the main subject of our text is a a gentleman by the name of Simon. Simon's situation is so distinctive that there's actually a word in our English dictionary, you can look it up, called simony, because of his decision of what to do with Christ. Read with me, if you would, in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. We'll read down to verse 13. Let's all stand together, if you would. And Saul was consenting unto his death. His death, as we looked last Sunday night, referring to Stephen, who was martyred for his faith. Opens chapter 8, it ended in chapter 7, when they all laid their coats down at a man named Saul's feet. 
Well, Saul is mentioned here in this chapter, consenting to his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery, bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. When he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Our Father tonight, this morning, as we come together right now, Lord, this is an important time. Your word says that you chose to use the foolishness of preaching, the preaching of the cross to save them which believe. Lord, I'm praying now that you'll help me to preach. I'm praying now, Lord, that you would help me to say with the power of the Holy Spirit that it would pierce every heart Lord, that you would accomplish things that would draw people to yourself. Lord, I believe in a crowd this size, there's someone here today that doesn't know Christ as Savior. I believe that there's a very good possibility that there's someone who is pretending to be. Lord, I, I, I can't go to every heart and every soul and pick those individuals out. But I know that you can. You don't look on the outward appearance, you look upon the heart. I pray for your help this morning. Help me to speak clearly. Help me to communicate truth in a way that's understandable. We ask you, Lord, for your help this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Since chapter 2 of the book of Acts, the apostles have been filled with the Holy Spirit. As they have obeyed the first phase of the Great Commission, filling Jerusalem with their doctrine, Christ made it very clear that what was required of them they could not do in their own strength and ability. 
Yes, they could testify. They could talk of what God had done in their life. That was their story. But they did not have power to reach the spirit and the heart of an individual. That would have to come from God. And filled with the Holy Spirit, as we read chapters 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, we see how God empowered these individuals so that those who opposed them would say, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. What a testimony for a church to have. Thousands have been saved, baptized, discipled, have joined this New Testament church and have become part of seeing this church multiply with growth. Now, it was not just the apostles delivering truth. It was members of the church carrying forth the gospel, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. The church's members have sold property and personal goods for the benefit of helping others in the church. The ministry of deacons has been instituted in order to help the apostles serve their members. But where Christianity is thriving, the opposition is building up forces of its own. And what was once a simple threat to never speak in the name of Jesus Christ has become a bloody persecution, recently resulting in the death of Stephen. Following his murder, the war over the souls of men and women had reached a new level. As we get to chapter 8, the ruthless persecution of the church in Jerusalem has scattered the believers throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, revealing to us that the loss of Stephen's life was not in vain, but rather furthered the gospel to other parts of the world. In the first three verses of our text, we're introduced to one of the leaders of the persecution, a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. He was a part of the crowd who murdered Stephen. And with a taste of blood fueled with a religious fervor that he described as one that exceeded all others, he wreaked havoc upon the church, delivering men and women of the Christian faith to prison. Aren't you glad this morning... That those who once persecute you, those who once oppose your Christ and your faith, and who tell you, thank you, for invi- thank you for inviting me to church, but I'm never going to come. Please don't ask anymore. Aren't you glad that God, through his son, Jesus Christ, can even save their wretched soul? Just as he can save yours and mine. Although Christians fled Jerusalem out of fear, their faith led them to to not cower and say, "I'm I'm never going to speak the name of Jesus because of what it might cost me. They fled with fear, yes. But their faith led them to continue to preach Christ everywhere they went. And may you and I as a church this morning pray that we have the same boldness today. 
May we not allow Satan to receive victory in our community or our household because of our fear. May we instead see souls saved as a result that our faith just won't let up. God, give us a people like that. In this chapter, it's another deacon by the name of Philip whose ministry the Holy Spirit highlights. If you look in verse number 5 of our text, he's found in Samaria preaching Jesus Christ. The fact that he was in a Samaria at all is astounding. In his great commission, found in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Christ commanded his followers to be witnesses of him and the power of the Spirit in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. The problem with Samaria is that the Samaritans and the Jews were not on friendly terms. In fact, they had a genuine disdain of one another for reasons that I'm going to say for another message. Let us understand this this morning. God loves the people that you don't like as much as he loves you who they don't like. Jesus says, I want you to carry the gospel to the Samaritans. And the Jews are like, well, we don't mix with the Samaritans. We don't want anything to do with the Samaritans. Republicans and Democrats say that. Baptists say that. I don't want anything to do with them. But God loves them, James, just like he loves you. And he wants his truth to be delivered to those individuals. So the next time we get really fired up about someone and we want to cause a larger gap between us and them, remember we're kind of missing the boat. We're really missing the mark there. Because whether or not I'm right and you're wrong is not the point. The point is really that we all develop a relationship with the only one who is ever right. All the time. The point I really want to make in regards to this message is that we're commanded to love and share the gospel to not only our friends, family, and those who look like us, but we're also called to love and share the gospel with those who are different. The question, therefore, is not whether Philip agreed with the philosophical beliefs or the religious views of the Samaritans or not. The question, rather, was this. Would he simply recognize the Samaritans had the same need that he had? And that is... He was a sinner in need of a Savior, and so are they. And so as we read through this passage, we find that Philip found success by putting any differences he had aside and allowed the Holy Spirit to do his perfect work. I want to encourage you to bring somebody to church that doesn't look like you, doesn't dress like you, doesn't act like you. One year ago, Cody Turney looked a lot different. Amen? 
Some time ago, you looked a lot different. You talked a lot different. You went to a lot different places. Philip was able to put those things aside because he simply knew that people needed Jesus. And what we learn in this passage is that the Samaritans listened to his words. And they were further impacted by the love of God expressed toward them and what he did for them. In verse 7, I want you to read with me, the Holy Spirit used Philip to touch lives spiritually and physically. The Bible says, For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them. That's the spiritual need. He met the spiritual need. He couldn't do that by himself, but God could use him to do that. And many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. He met a physical need. Just because they were healed physically didn't mean they were going to heaven, but it sure did draw them to his Savior. The result in verse 8 is that there was great joy in that city. There was great joy in that city because people came to faith in Christ that led them out of spiritual darkness into spiritual light. I'm here to tell you this morning, a lot of us just like to have joy in our own home. Where there's peace with God, Matt Clark, there's an opportunity for people to have joy. And when you can get a multitude of people who suddenly come to Christ and a community that is now come to Christ and care about God and care about their relationship with Jesus Christ and when a church service is called and people come and when people are concerned about their neighbor, people are concerned about their family member, there's an opportunity for people to walk around through life not arguing and bickering, but there's a joy in their life that they just can't hold in. That is what was taking place in a city, in a town, in a region of Israel where no one would have cared about those people. Verse number 12, But when they believed, Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. News of this city coming to Christ and now a New Testament church being started reached Jerusalem. Read with me in verse 14. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. And just like the previous verses, verse 15 through 17 need our attention. But again, I'm going to wait and deal with that in a separate message because I simply cannot get to everything into this one. Otherwise, I'd be like Steve Holstenback sent me a picture on social media that had this 30-foot piece of beam that I'm trying to stuff in my car because I'm trying to cram everything I get in a message into one sermon. None of us have that much time. And I'll lose you in the process. What I want to turn our attention to is this. The one Samaritan who is mentioned by name in this chapter is, is Simon. 
And I want us to understand, I, I don't know that I would say Simon was a well-respected individual, but he was certainly one that the Scripture says they held in high regard. And the reason for that was because of his abilities that the Scripture tells us in sorcery and witchcraft. I will say, I will, I will say this, BJ. What he did was real. What he did, they couldn't, they couldn't argue with it. No matter how hard they tried, culture, they couldn't figure out. And thus, their only conclusion was this. This man had to have the great power of God. This was a godly individual. Nobody could do this unless God be with him. And so he was held up as, as a great man in their community. Someone very distinctive. Let's go back to verse number 9. It says that there was a certain man called Simon, which before in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. In other words, what that means is this. He made sure everybody knew he was a great one. Simon the Great. That's a great stage name, isn't it? He made sure he had a name for himself. You saw it today, he'd be all over social media. He would have more billboards than Alexander Sonara. Right? I mean, everywhere you would go, you would see the name Simon the Great. It says in verse 11, and to him, or verse 10, to him they gave they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And what that's saying is this. It wasn't just the poor crowd that he influenced and was able to win over. It would have been the, the noble crowd, you know, the mayor of the town, the, the rich people in the community, the highly educated, from the least to the greatest he influenced all of them, and they all had a high regard of him. It says in verse 11, And to him they had high regard, had regard because that of long time he had bewitched them of sorceries. But when the people came to Christ and openly professed him as their Savior in verse 12, the change made in the lives of the people was so profound that Simon took notice. Because the result was this, he had lost his demonic influence over them. So what do you do when you can't beat them? You do what? You join them. It says in verse 13, And Simon himself believed also. When he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and the signs which were done. Praise Jesus, Simon also is a believer. Praise the Lord, Simon also got baptized. Praise the Lord that Simon is hanging around the preacher, wondering and beholding the miracles and signs which were done. What did he believe? 
Well, he believed that there was power associated with the name of Christ. Do you believe that? There's power associated with the name of Christ. He believed there was power associated with a word which Philip preached because when Philip delivered the message, he didn't tell you, Dylan, how wonderful you were. He spoke of your need and that that need was supplied only in Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, great numbers of the community came had accepted Christ to be their Savior and become a part of a new movement called the local New Testament church. And Christianity became a part of the Samaritan community. He believed that there was power that transformed the lives of his former crowd because the people who once stood before him was not the same people that they are today. There's power in that. He couldn't argue with that. He was intrigued by his by this power, which is why he walked around with Philip, interested in the miracles and signs which he did. He followed Philip trying to understand how this power worked. How could he have such power for himself? He wanted his crowd back. He wanted to hear his name chanted once again, Simon the Great, the man with the great power of God. And if Simon could have this power that Philip had, nothing could stop him. So when Peter and John come in verses 14 through 17... And they laid their hands upon the new believers, and those believers received the Holy Spirit. Simon was blown away. And it was then that he made his move. It was then that he revealed his true heart. Read with me verse 18. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying... Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But notice what Peter said unto him. Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this manner, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God, repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine own heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. Christian, would you go to my office and get me a bottle of water, please? Like Judas Iscariot, Simon wanted something from Jesus, but it wasn't salvation. They both wanted power. Judas wanted power to overcome his enemies, and Simon wanted power to gain favor among the people. And when both were placed under conviction, they didn't run to Jesus to seek forgiveness and accept him to be the Savior. He was. They ran away from him. And the truth is, teenagers... I can pray for you until I die. And your mamas and daddies can pray for you until they can't speak another word. But only you can make the decision of what your relationship with God through Christ will be like. And that goes for all of us. 
I can pray and pray and pray for you to get saved. But God's not going to make you get saved. That decision is up to you. Simon had a false faith. And as far as we know, he never repents and actually places faith in Christ alone for salvation. Now, forgive me, this bottle is completely full of water. I'm about to make a mess. There's no dignified way to doing that. Can I tell you this? Can I speak truth to you? I believe the biggest fear every pastor has is that there are people in his congregation of a false faith. Church members without Christ. People who've prayed a prayer, followed in baptism, and even give towards the financial needs of the church, but like Simon, they did those things for the wrong reasons. It's not my job, Thomas, to talk a person into getting saved. I'm not a salesperson. A salesperson can talk you into buying something you didn't really want. I bought a 96 Camaro that way when I was a young single guy. I wasn't even there to buy that car, but he made me want it. He made, he made me think Christy would really like it. She wasn't that impressed. I'm not here to talk a person into getting saved. But sometimes people get saved because they're talked into it. Sometimes people will pray a prayer... Just because they want to, they don't want to change life. They just want to change in the moment. Sometimes they'll pray a prayer to impress someone else. And there's a fine line there. No one gets believed or gets saved believing they're a great person. Amen? Simon's belief was not rooted in humility but in pride. He was a self-proclaimed great person. He even believed that what he did was a result of the great power of God. But you don't get saved believing you're a great person. How do you get saved? Well, first of all, we get saved when we believe we're not a good person at all. We're not as good as we think we are. Now, you might be better than me. I won't argue with you there. But you're not better than God. And we make a tendency in everything in life, we compare ourselves to other people. When it comes to eternity, the only one you're compared to is Jesus Christ. We must recognize we're a sinner. 
and realize how far short we fall from God's holiness. Because Christ didn't come to save good people, He came to save bad people. For all have gone astray. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. All of our righteousness are as filthy rags. Don't allow your pride to believe you're something you're not. Because none of us are good enough for God to show his favor. That's why it's called grace. It's unmerited favor. It's undeserved favor. Don't ever think, well, maybe I'll get there. I hope I'll get there. I hope I've done something good enough to get there. There's no such person. Simon believed he was a great person. Don't allow your pride to believe you're something you're not. Secondly, we must check our reason for getting saved. In our text, Simon believed with hopes of gaining more power. He was was intrigued by what Philip was able to do and his miracles that he was able to accomplish. Simon realized he couldn't do what Philip could do. He wanted that power. And when Peter could do as, what Peter could do as a spirit-filled individual and lay hands on those men and the Holy Ghost came upon them, he even, Simon even thought that money could buy this power. How much will it take? How much can I give? Money couldn't do it. We can't get saved by praying a prayer because that's what uh, when that's something that someone wants us to do, no matter how important that person might be to us. Well, David, just pray this prayer after me. You can pray that prayer a thousand times. And on the outward appearance and what I heard, I would say, David got saved. But only God knows your heart. What is your heart like before God? We get saved when we personally recognize the great need in our life, and that is our sin will eternally separate us from God if the debt we owe is not fully paid. And the trouble is, we can't pay it. We can't purchase power to go to heaven. We can't buy the power that we need to earn our way in. Salvation is found in Christ alone. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, the Bible says. And the Bible says, to all who received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. John 1 verse 12. It's not by the will of man. It's not by the will of blood. You can't can't be born into it. Men can't pray you into it. Only God can give us the power to be saved. And that happens when we recognize this. 
I am a sinner, and because of that, my sin will eternally separate me from God. I cannot enter in the presence of a holy and righteous God, a place where there's no darkness because there's no sin. There's no death because there's no sin. There's no tears because there's no sin. I can't enter that place because the best that I do involves sin. And I've got to realize this. I can't earn it. I can't buy it. I can't deserve it. I am in desperate need for God to help me. And, be, and God does. And for centuries we've been preaching that Jesus Christ came to this world to save sinners. That when we were without Christ, he died for the ungodly. That God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did that so that we might have life. He paid the debt. He paid the debt. I can't buy what Christ has already paid for. Thirdly, Simon refused to repent. Following Peter's rebuke, he tells Simon... Let's look at the rebuke again in verse 22. Simon says, Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye the Lord for me. Pray that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. See, Simon didn't view salvation as a transformed life. He simply saw it as a better opportunity. And I just quoted 2 Corinthians 5, 17 that says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. A person who experiences salvation is never left the same. He's changed, and this transformation is a continual process. I'm not the same person that I was a year ago. I'm certainly not the same person I was 30 years ago. A person can pray a prayer and get baptized and everyone says, he got saved. But God knows our heart and he knows what is real within us. And the Lord revealed Simon's heart to a spirit-filled apostle named Peter. And Peter said, you need to repent from your wickedness. And you need to pray to God and ask him to forgive what is in your heart because you can't buy the gift of God. There is a consistent change in a true child of God. And that is why there was joy in the city because of those believed. Nobody was left the same. Are you with me? Lastly, no one can pray you into heaven. We can pray for God to save you. We can pray for the Holy Spirit to convict you. We can pray for the spiritual blindness to be lifted and the gospel to be crystal clear in its presentation. But no one can pray you into heaven. You have to make that decision all by yourself. You have to recognize you're a sinner far from God, undeserving of forgiveness and an eternal home in heaven. You have to forsake all pride in proving your innocence and admit your guilt. And no matter how hard we try, we can never justify ourselves. Only Christ can do that. And you have to be willing for Christ to transform your life rather than just making it tolerable. 
I mean, you can't get saved for personal profit or for the pleasure of others. You can't get saved to get in that crowd. You get saved, Jimmy, when you realized, I can't go further. And I need help. I am a sinner, Lord. I am guilty before you. And I deserve nothing. Because I don't deserve heaven, I deserve nothing but hell. And I can't go forward. I can't go forward. I can't keep living this life. I can't keep going down this same path. And I'm making a decision right now. Lord, I accept what you did for me on the cross of Calvary. I believe that you love me. Enough to get me to heaven. And the only way is through your son. Let's bow our heads.